This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 463 for Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Joining me this week, Stephen ESC is back. You can find him at Stephen ESC on social media and on Twitch where you have been streaming. Hello, sir. And hello to you. How did the Nether Hub go the other day? I saw that's what was the, that was the intention of the stream, but I was, I was doing other things. I think it was cooking or cleaning or something and I couldn't tune in. So what, like, what was, what was going on? It doesn't look like anything yet because essentially ah. I was trying to figure out where I wanted it to go and how big I want it to be. So right now I'm just in the process of digging out a, uh, a 25 by 25 by 25 area. Just basically going from the center, center of the portal out 25 blocks in all directions or, and then, I'm going to figure out what I want to do from there. So it's, I haven't decided fully. There's the only thing that I've kind of, I don't want to say for sure got in mind, but it's or for sure that I'm going to do, but I have it in mind. I want lava to pour down on the top of the portal and I'm going to try to place blocks in a way that will then redirect it from the top center down off to the sides and, and either have it pool next to it, or I'm going to dig out the ground underneath it until it gets down to the lava below, because I'm pretty sure there's lava beneath and then just have it not 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 necessarily glass floor like it is on the citadel but have it so right. that you might if i'm going off in four different directions have it like four different boardwalks that go off in different directions i can't mm-hmm. think of a better word for it but you know like catwalks catwalks yeah like in star wars when they've got mm. <laughs> this the really dangerous engine room with no railings on anything these, <laughs> these, these really narrow Classic. floating sidewalks yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 floating sidewalk is not a good one yeah, yeah. The, the 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 death bridges. <laughs> exactly, death yeah. bridge. Although I, I I will be following safety protocol and putting railings. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't need to involve. Is it HIPAA? Is that the U.S.? I can't remember which one's the Canadian, which one's the U.S. version of of health and safety <laughs> inspection. That might be just the CSA. It could be. Yeah, could be. And I guess I should backtrack and and remind people that Stephen and I play Minecraft on the Citadel server, and Stephen is a you know server mate and fellow streamer. Uh, and, yes. and, and that's very often what you stream, um, but you also do some, some Lego streams more on that later, actually, mm. uh, for folks that want to tease all the way back down to the internet minute at the end of the show, you're, you're not going to be surprised. Let's just face it now. <laughs> you're just, you're probably used to it, uh, at yeah. this point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to get too into the whole Minecraft chat because of course we'll yeah, be yeah. here all day and that's what the spawn chunks is for my other podcast. But there are some people that are new to the Citadel Cafe and maybe just like, what the heck are they talking about? I thought this was about sci-fi and fantasy films and stuff like that. But funny enough, I was going to stream on the Citadel this past Thursday and it's just been a while since I've, uh, since I've logged in and I didn't realize we were up to, uh, one oh. So all of my stuff was set up for one just as I was about to to do a thing and it's like oh i guess it's not happening <laughs> and you just have to keep on updating because we're we're not on up 19.4 yet but 19.4 is out 
and mm. and I believe it's been long enough now that all of our mods and other data packs and stuff should be up to snuff. I I may not go through and update all the data packs. Like if 19.4 breaks a couple things, I might just wait for 1.20 because that's coming out sooner than later. The snapshots are still being released, but they are not big. They seem to be doing right. mostly bug fixes and tweaks. So I don't know when uh, Minecraft 1.20 is coming out. I think it could be as early as May. Normally, Mojang waits until school's out. So like June, mm. uh, June summer holiday for North America, uh, essentially. Uh, specifically in Europe, because they get out earlier than, than the rest of North America. Um, but the... Other thing that's happening is Minecraft Legends is launching in like two weeks on the 18th. Oh, right. And I don't think that they would put the release of Minecraft too close to Legends because Legends is going to be a very big draw for anybody that plays a lot of Minecraft. And 1.19, if it starts to feel long in the tooth, people are probably going to go and play Legends while they wait for 1.20 to come out. And I would right. imagine if I would just taking my five plus years experience podcasting and following Minecraft news that when 1.20 comes out, you're going to see a, a dip in legends play <laughs> would be <Probably>. my guess. <laughs> right. So, so I'm not, I'm assuming that they'll put it at least beyond legends, but like, I don't know how far beyond, uh, cause it's feeling pretty feature complete at this point. They're still messing around with some stuff, but anyway, <laughs> all of that folks, you can listen to uh, Johnny and I talk about that on the sponge chunks at the sponge uh, but that and that really has been my my nerd uh, kind of week. I've been streaming uh, almost every day uh, in March and continuing nice. that into April. And I've only been taking Mondays off. And I say off because those are the days that I record the spawn chunks and it takes all day. So uh, I've been doing a lot of Minecraft. So as a result, I really don't have much to talk about <laughs> other than that. Uh, so wh what's been on your nerdy radar the last the last little while? Um, I caught the article, uh, actually a few articles about the uh, first Canadian that's uh, destined to orbit the moon. So uh, Jeremy Hansen is going to be one of four astronauts that will make up the crew of the 10-day uh, Artemis II mission aboard NASA's uh, new mega rocket and is destined, like I said, destined to orbit the moon, which is pretty cool. I didn't even know that orbiting the moon was a thing that we did. I mean, I know we landed on the moon way back when, but I didn't know the... Uh, well, they're going back to the moon. NASA's going back to the moon. I can't remember what the date is for. It's 2026 yeah, it's, or 2030. I can't remember. 2025 it, is when they're planning. Oh, okay. Or at least that's when the Artemis 3 mission is planned after this one. And I and I apologize. I can't remember whether it was to land on the moon at that point or or something else. But Yeah. Because this is the second Artemis mission, right? Like the, they did the first is. one was like a test of the system or something. Right, and that went the yeah the first system the first I guess the first test of NASA's mega rocket the Orion, um I think they sent that around that basically the same course as they're planning on doing with, um a now live crew and then this crew is going to be going and testing a lot of the systems that will be used for the Artemis three mission when the Orion goes up again, and yeah so it sounds like the eventual plan is to have them return to the moon on in two thousand twenty five. And I'm not sure if they're going to do it then, but they also plan on setting up a little uh, a moon base. And it sounds like the eventual plan is to launch uh, the Gateway, a small lunar space station that could eventually act as kind of a a launch point to travel to Mars. Wild. That is yeah. wild. I, I don't want to put a downer on it, but the <laughs> things that 
I've been consuming, unfortunately, I don't know why my social media feed has been giving me this, the latest stuff, a lot of Canadian politics and other things. There's just so much that we have to fix on this planet. Oh yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> before we, before we leave. And so I was just like, it's really cool. And I love the idea of like the future and, and Mars and the moon. It's all really, really cool. But at the same time, when I hear this kind of stuff, I'm just like, yeah, but like, is there any way that some of these resources and maybe the minds that are figuring this stuff out? Cause this is what I find so fascinating about space travel and stuff like that. It's just how ridiculously smart and qualified everyone on this project has to be mm -hmm. right. Like it just, I make podcasts and I used to draw stuff, you know, <laughs> like I just, and I, I don't, I don't consider myself a dumb individual at all, but, but I, 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 look at those kind of things knowing that it's a different kind of of smart and different kind of career and it's just like it's very very impressive when when you hear about not just this is the plan for the thing but like we're in the middle of three stages right mm -hmm. there's a plan the plan is being executed it's not like a pipe dream you know exactly that's very very cool so we have uh, an email about space this week that I'd like to share with everyone. It's about fictional space, but you'll get the, you'll get the gist. It's from McScrewgun, friend of ours, actually. Someone that we've yes. had a pint with. Picard and Paramount is the subject. Hello, Joel and Steven. While you and Alistair were discussing season three of Picard and the commercial breaks, quote unquote, you asked if anyone from the States could chime in. I do subscribe in the US to Paramount and confirm that they are not commercial breaks, but I have noticed a sort of fade. I often find myself feeling that an episode is ending, but it turns out to be just the most recent fate. If you'll indulge me, it was good to hear your opinions on the woodenness of some of the interactions between Riker and Picard. You've killed us all and such. I feel it stems from the fact I never once believed Riker's hesitancy in fighting. Maybe Riker has changed in the intervening 20 years. God knows I have. I just don't think they communicated that change enough so I was left waiting for damn the torpedoes and sort it out later, uh, the record that I know. Cheers, McScrewgun. Well, that's really cool to, to know. Uh, thanks for writing in and letting us in on that. I've noticed it with Strange New Worlds, which is something I've been watching while I'm subscribed to Crave. In between uh, Picard episodes, I'm catching up on season one of Strange New Worlds, which has been good and bad in a couple of different ways. But... Um, <laughs> also has the same fades definitely has commercial breaks it is not uh made for just streaming it feels like they've they've definitely engineered it for something that has commercial breaks on television uh picard and i believe strange new worlds aired on the sci-fi network so uh, hmm. that would account for that i find it a pain in the butt that they didn't bother to cut them out on streaming services because well no you're not getting a commercial it's a weird break in, in the mood of something, you know, a simple cut from one scene to the next would keep the momentum going. But when you've got the momentum of, of dialogue and fast paced and technical stuff, and then it slowly fades out and slowly fades back in, there's these long camera pans in strange new worlds that happen as well. Like Christopher Pike will say something poignant and then the camera will like hang a really long time on like the panel next to him and you're just like what is going on and then it fades hmm. and you're like oh commercial break and i just it's been so long since i've had <laughs> uh any 
I get annoyed when I go over to people's houses and they have commercials on the TV. Like I just, and it's not their fault. I just, I hate them. You know, it's like ads and anything. I pay for YouTube um, premium now just because I don't like YouTube ads. Like they drove me crazy and it's not that much. I'm just like, you know what? I've spent enough time on YouTube. I'd rather not see the ads. It's really mm. something that I feel is, is not missing, but like an oversight on the fact that so many people consume this via streaming. Uh, I don't know what the numbers would be, whether more people would stream it. Star Trek people are usually pretty nerdy. I would imagine most of them are probably cord cutters and streaming a lot of things. But anyway, yeah. um, interesting to, to hear that that there are fades in all forms of, of Picard. Now, are you watching Picard at all? Did you get into that series? I don't remember. Not yet. It's it's definitely on my radar of things that I want to see, no pun intended. But it's... Uh... I just couldn't justify spending the extra money on Crave because it's not inexpensive. Oh, it's not cheap, no. Moving on to the main discussion. We are going to be talking about Mandalorian Season 3, Episodes 4, 5, and 6, Chapters 20, 21, and 22, as the show likes to call them. There will be spoilers. We uh, dialed it back on Episode 4 the last time I was talking with, I believe it was Brockett, about Mandalorian. And... Uh, we didn't go into to episode four, even though I had seen it at that point. Uh, but you and I, Stephen, are all caught up, correct? We've seen four, correct. five, and six. Yes, awesome. Yep. Uh, so there will be spoilers. There's no way to talk about these without spoiling some things. I, there's not any real big dire plot points. It's it's more about character development and stuff like that. But there are some really fun Star Wars moments that we would take to spoil for people. I know kind of where I want to uh jump into this but i'm curious because you and i haven't talked about mandalorian at all this season yet mm -hmm. how um how have you felt the season going so far just kind of like as, a, as a quick quick summary overall enjoying it um but i my favorite even though we're not talking about it has been episode two uh, of the season the um when they went to the minds of mandalore i thought that was for me personally i thought that was really well done just visually very cool and I think it did a good job of sort of building the relationship between Din Djarin and Bo-Katan. Um, I, I just, I'm finding, <laughs> this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm finding, like, like, I'm not sure why Grogu's around, because he just seems to be there, and for, for cuteness sake, and, and I guess I, I'm also finding that just, I, I wish they had used or you would use a little bit of CGI on him as well, because I find that he seems very, very doll like. And I, I know part of the point of the Mandalorian is to be uh, use more practical effects in a lot of situations over over CGI and special effects. But I just I don't know, especially when he jumps, it looks like somebody just threw a doll through the air and takes me out of it a little bit. But overall, enjoying it. Yeah, the puppetry when they make Grogu jump is not the best. It yeah. It would look better, I think. At the same time, I want to say it would look better if, if they did CG, but I also know that I would immediately notice CG Grogu versus mm -hmm. puppet Grogu. Like, it would be very difficult to make that seamless. So I I kind of I kind of get why they have to go that route. They are using the jump flip a lot, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully they'll iron that out but i don't know um i feel like what we're getting so far with grogu there's a lot of backstory 
both with Grogu's personal backstory, but also like why Moff Gideon was after him in the first place. And that happened a lot in episode three. Uh, and Brock and I were talking about how this series is trying to fill in some of the gaps that we have from episode seven, eight, nine, in terms of like where the emperor got back into the picture. Right. And, and so I think that, we're getting a slow burn on Grogu's backstory in the mm -hmm. first parts. There are some cool character moments and we'll get into that shortly. Um, I think that actually one of the best ways um, to, to highlight that was the episode uh, 20, chapter 20, The Foundling, uh, which was directed by Carl Weathers, uh, who plays uh, Greaves Karga, and uh, written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni, as many of the episodes this season have been. And... I really liked the character development that we got to see for Grogu. Uh, there were some really cool moments where he dueled against Ragnar, I think, in uh, a Mandalorian training exercise, mm -hmm. which was weird. It felt very staged in terms of everybody out in the beach fighting. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, like they needed to show like that Grogu has made the choice to be a foundling, you know, instead of a, instead of a, a Padawan. So, uh, showing Grogu take part and everybody knows that Grogu's got force powers, right? But th the rest of the Mandalorians don't, they just think he's a little runt. And right. I really enjoyed two things about it. The fact that he owned face at the end <laughs> and the fact that he was so hesitant to get involved in a fight that it just, I found it spoke to Grogu's nature, which is just so passive all the time right unless there's food he's just very right. <laughs> he's just very he's very chill all the time uh and but yet intelligent like we've learned enough about him that he, we know he understands when spoken to in basic we, he can't communicate but he can at least uh listen and learn which i thought was really cool because he he gets um r5 to fly the n1 <laughs> to go get bokatan you know right. like it's just it's he's not he's not a he's not an infant as as far as his mental capacity, which I thought is, is interesting. Uh, and then the other part of, of the foundling where we get more insight into Grogu is while he's having a conversation, well, not conversation while he's having a meeting, the armorer is having a conversation with Grogu. Grogu is just there listening, but as she's bashing away on the Beskar, uh, he has a flashback of the Jedi temple and his escape from order 66. And I thought that was really, really cool. And, it gave us kind of a look as to how he got away. It showed him aided by Jedi Master Keller and Beck, played by Ahmed Best, who is better known for playing Jar Jar Binks in the films. <laughs> and so he got some right. some retribution because people don't like Jar Jar Binks and and shit on his performance all the time. And so now, at least when he's going to a Star Wars convention, he can have a picture of Keller and Beck behind him instead of Jar Jar Binks. Maybe both. <laughs> Maybe he can own Jar Jar and people will be a little bit on the softer side. Um, apparently, fans were not kind to um, to Best. But... That's too bad. Yeah. I, well, Star Wars fans can be so divisive and childish sometimes. Anyway, I really enjoyed that sequence. I thought that it was neat to see... Uh, Keller and Beck rescue Grogu. Grogu was flown away on a Naboo star cruiser, which I thought was interesting. No details beyond that, but it's the same thing that Queen Amidala arrived to Coruscant on. So uh, I'm right. curious. Yeah, I'm curious as to like how, because some of the guards that were helping Beck get Grogu on board were like 
loyal, I can't remember what they were called, Royal Guard, I guess, maybe Naboo Royal Guard. Uh, so they were, and they were in the right costumes and everything. Like, I mean, all that kind of stuff. I knew it as soon as I saw it. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Definitely some, some flashbacks from the first um, prequel trilogy. So I thought that was very, very cool. Seeing all that background on Grogu and then seeing him get the rondelle, which is the round kind of chest plate thing with the mud horn on it. Same as, <laughs> same as Din, just like dad, right? Like I thought yeah. that was, that was cute. Look sharp on him. And again, it, it reminded me of, you know, more than meets your eye sort of screenwriting because in the similar sense of Frodo having a mithril shirt underneath his hobbit garb, right? Surviving a blow from a cave troll. I imagine that someone's going to shoot Grogu, not realizing that he has a Beskar rondelle and a Beskar chainmail shirt on (laughs) underneath his little Grogu robe, you know? I think it's awesome pretty cool i thought it was funny because it's the little rondelle that he's got for his or the little chest plate he's got is smaller i thought it was just gonna be a a shoulder pad or shoulder plate that's what it looked like it almost like they were making another one for dinjarin and then (laughs) nope it's a little belly plate for for grogu it's cute the other part of the the character development in this episode that i really liked was between uh dinjarin and paz vizsla uh paz vizsla is the mandalorian that he fought for the dark saber and one uh in book of boba fett and i believe hmm. bryce dallas howard's episode so having them no longer at odds after uh Vizla's son ragnar right after the duel actually right after a grogu and ragnar duel uh with paintballs um they uh there's a raptor, like a lizard bird thing, which is a very cool design. It's got like four arms. It reminded me of like how to train your dragon, but like from space, yeah. it was very yeah, cool. It was really well rendered too. I, I really thought it was uh, fairly realistic looking pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the special effects and all the, the action in this particular episode were great. But anyway, Ragnar gets kidnapped and everybody has to go rescue him. And this is not the first time it's happened. And the Mandalorians can't keep up. They can't fly far enough with their jetpacks. The the beast flies farther than their range. And so it mm-hmm. always gets away. And so because Bo-Katan is there, she uses the ship. She has the you know foresight to go get in a ship instead of using a jetpack. And so she chases it down to its nest and then comes back and organizes a rescue party. And because Din Djarin and Bo-Katan participate in the rescue party led by Bo-Katan actually um it seems to have smoothed over the relationship between Din Djarin and Paz Vizsla which is good because I I didn't want there to be any kind of like backstabbing you know happening yeah. I don't like those feelings of like watching Din Djarin kind of going around this this sect of of Mandalorians wondering whether they're going to stab him in the back because they perceive him as a threat all that kind of stuff so I thought it was really cool and really telling how that had that uh, loyalty to family had really smoothed over Din's relationship with with Paz Vizsla. Now that we're talking about it again, I think you you brought up some some points that I'd forgotten about because when I was looking back at it, it just it did feel like it was a bit of a. I guess that's what I feel like this season so far. There's a couple, a few episodes already, like half of them almost. I don't, almost feel like side stories or filler episodes and this one felt a little bit like it until you kind of brought up those points again so um 
I do like the fact that it's basically it sort of proved Bo-Katan's worth, I guess, for lack of a better word, to the other the other Mandalorians as well. Like I, I didn't really know, wasn't sure how um, she was going to fit into the storyline this season. So when they reintroduced her just sort of sitting on her throne at the beginning, I thought, well, it just felt like, I don't know, it left me uncertain. So I, I think it's, I, I did like this episode because it's, um, I fi- I'm, I'm finding that I, I really like her character quite a bit more. The more that she's in it, the more I like her. And I'm not, I'd never really seen Katie sack off in anything before the show or not that I remember it of anyway. And she seems, she seems pretty badass, And I quite like that. Oh, she's fantastic. And, in this yeah um she was the voice of bo-katan in the clone wars as well in the animated series oh nice yeah uh and she is no stranger to space action she's got a show called another life on netflix which is like space horror and she was i think she played starbuck on battlestar galactica i can't i think oh yeah i think that was her character it's been a really long time it's a really good show I just, there's so many characters and names to remember on that show that I just, I don't remember exactly who she played. I'm pretty sure it was Starbuck. Yeah. Um, I never but, saw the show, but I'm, I'm remembering that. Now. Yeah. I mean, this was a long time ago. She was a lot younger. Um, and, I mean, and good actor then too. Uh, but I, I really enjoy what she, what she brings. There was a really fun clip I saw of, of her on one of the daily talk shows in the US. It was a social media clip and she was talking about her experience being on set with Grogu and just kind of being an actor and being in the scene and then they say cut and they've got to reset a bunch of stuff like special effects or whatever and you know reset the the environment um that they're in and she was just kind of playing around and and she was talking to grogu who was just like the puppet was just still you know beside her right but the puppeteers were still on mic and could hear her and so (laughs) she was like you're such a pleasant little fellow like do you ever get angry and so then the puppeteer made grogu get angry (laughs) which we've never seen right (laughs) and she thought like this is wild you know (laughs) that it reacted to her and i mean she thought it was just really really fun and she she was giving a lot of compliments to the the puppeteers and the crew that make grogu work because they make him so lifelike and i actually think that there's more animatronics and more expression going on in grogu specifically his eyes this season Mm. i find I don't know whether it's because he's in the pod a lot more. And so maybe they've got more opportunities there, but I really find that he can have more like sad eyes, happy eyes. Like he can't really smile per se, but, but he can definitely do a lot more with his eyes. And I feel like the, the angle of his eyelids can change a little bit and his eyebrows move a lot more, which I I think is really cool. And they've also added more um, audio emotes from him too. Yeah. And I, I, that's, that's one of the things that always bothered me about him. And, And now that you've mentioned when he's in this pod, it's, when people are carrying him, his head moves back and forth. And he's never really, I don't think he's ever done a full blink. Like when he blinks, it only goes halfway down. But I think, I think you're right. The eyes have definitely improved this year. They're very similar to uh, how the Ewoks didn't really blink either. I think they added those in later. I feel like that was one of the things that people were up in arms about, about the special trilogy was like the, the Ewoks in the original trilogy did not have eyelids. They didn't blink, <laughs> but they did like CG eyelids in, in the, uh, in the special, um, edition. I think I could be, I could be misremembering that. It's been a long time. And most of the time since the special edition, when I have watched star Wars, it has been the special edition. So it's a similar to like Lord of the Rings. When I'm watching Lord of the Rings, 
if it's on like television or something at someone's house and they cut to a different scene, I go, wait, what just happened? And you're like, oh, right. <laughs> this isn't the extended cut that I've watched like a hundred times because <laughs> I feel like they're missing things. It's like, but it's not only that, but it's also on TV and it's probably like five hours long on, on television. Right. But yeah. I think they're doing really well. And speaking of puppetry, uh, the, the next episode, The Pirate, had a lot of puppetry in there as well, uh, especially with Gorian Shard, the the Swamp Thing looking pirate dude. Yeah, I, he's very unique, very Jim Henson. Like I'm on board for it. It's it's fine, uh, but but yeah, it it's hard to hard to unsee it. Like the way that the lips move and all that kind of stuff. You just know that it's not a dude in a suit. There, well, there. Sorry, it's a dude in a suit somehow, but the head itself is is like an animatronic thing that's happening yeah i thought it actually worked well for when they showed him doing the uh the holographic yes telecommunication or whatever you want to call it like holographic video chat we'll say <laughs> because it was it was sort of it was cutting in and out a little bit or the the um the picture wasn't perfectly clear the entire time so even though he had a uh, stiffer mouth movement it seemed to fit with that uh within that because the, uh, the of the choppiness of the communication you couldn't really tell and i thought it was I thought it was an interesting way to get around it, but then when you actually see him, quote unquote, in real life later, not through communication, it was uh, yeah, a lot more apparent. I thought it worked really well with the hologram as well. That 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 was something that I I noticed the details because it's the I think it's the only time you get that close to his face. You know, in terms of the scale in in the shot, everything else mm-hmm. is more of a mid shot from like the waist up. You know, when he's like yelling at his minions on the ship, and yeah, right. and and trying to avoid. Um, the destruction and the fight and all that kind of stuff at the end. Um, this episode was also written by Favreau and Filoni, directed by Peter Ramsey. And I think this was the best episode so far this season for me. <laughs> uh, classic Star Wars. There's a space battle with the uh, with the, the dogfight over Navarro as uh, Gorian Shard is trying to um, bombard and, and take over Navarro. And then you've got the ground battle that's happening with Bo-Katan leading the Mandalorians in to rescue Navarro. And they're doing like a drop ship paratrooper mm. style kind of uh, in- infiltration into Navarro and they're taking on the pirates and they're doing it very well because they're moving as a squad. They're very organized. They're battle hardened and the pirates are violent, but not disorganized but they're certainly not a match for the mandalorians once the mandalorians kind of arrive in in force some really cool shots with um paz vizsla and his like minigun very jesse ventura from predator like the giant (laughs) minigun that he walks in with uh and then there's a couple of other uh cool shots like jet packs and um I, I can't remember what they're called like grappling cords or binder cords they've got cord they've got like grappling hooks on their wrist and they can right. use them for like repelling and climbing they use them in the the raptor rescue for ragnar as well in the first episode we talked about but but they also kind of use them to like wrap up around a, a leg of someone and like pull them to the ground so they can shoot them and and some of it was i mean it's star wars so it's lasers but it was violent like i mean they trip somebody up and they knock them to the ground and they stand over them just execution style blam it was really well done yeah some of the shots were fantastic too, like the 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 initial drop out of uh, Bo-Katan's ship, you know, where she opens mm-hmm. up the bit the floor and everybody drops out. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the ship. I should have known. I should have looked it up before the episode, but I think it's like a Mandalorian drop ship, or uh, it's 
that's what its purpose is. I don't remember if that's the actual name of the model, but it's it's a very cool ship and um, used kind of like, I think, for its purpose in, in this episode. But then you pair that with the dogfight above the city. So not in space. Other Star Wars films and classic moments, it would be like a, a space fight that's happening above the planet where your drama is taking place. But this, it's just above the city. And the combination of Shard's cruiser coming in and shooting ballistic missiles instead of lasers he shoots lasers yeah. at at the at the starfighters but but he shoots ballistic missiles at the ground and they're all broadside like it's just like a pirate ship right it's it's the the parallel was not lost on me it's very very cool it just it you've seen it in pirates of the caribbean except for it was just a ship on the ocean right very yeah. very fun stuff uh but then you've got this dogfight with with dinjarin and bokatan because after she drops off the troops she's taking on the the cruiser and dinjarin is taking on the snub fighters that the cruiser launches which he fought in like episode two or one or something in space in the asteroid field and he yeah. kicks their ass again <laughs> it's just it's awesome it's so well done i really enjoyed that scene as well it's uh you did i mean you did an excellent job of explaining it but it's 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 pretty spectacular i enjoyed the um I just I I know it's just it's not like original strategy, but I like how um, Dinjarin went basically straight in at the pirate ship and drew their fire right away, so that they could so that uh, Bokatan could go in like almost like secretly go in and do and do the drop, and then come back and join the fight. I thought it was I thought it was just that was really well done, and I like and and you mentioned uh, their point of it being not in space. I thought was really cool as well because they did a, it felt like they did a good job of atmospheric perspective on the fight as well because you know you've got this massive ship off in the distance and color wise it would be the, the colors were more muted it, it just felt like the Star Wars the the, the first uh, episodes one two and three of Star Wars or I actually haven't seen three but just the shininess and high resolution of all of the digital special effects just kept taking me out of it and I just felt that they did a really good job of this like it, it looked like the ship was up in the sky off of the distance. So it's, yeah. And, and it made it, it made the whole thing look a lot more realistic. So it was very cool. And communicated the scale of that cruiser too. Cause you yeah. saw it briefly when, when Din Djarin blew by it in space for his getaway um, in earlier in the season. But, but here you get to really see how big it is compared to the town. And it's a good thing. It didn't crash into the town. Cause, I cause... was wondering that just like, <laughs> Felt like they were being a little careless with like destroying that last engine when it was <laughs> that close to the city. I I watched one of the reactions to it on YouTube. Uh, Blind Wave, who I've mentioned on the show before, I went and I watched their reaction to it after I had seen the episode myself. And in that, you see little clips of the episode, and they actually um, they use, I think it's Bogotan. I think it's yeah. I think the ship actually pivots to try to hunt down. Bo-Katan. like she gets involved after she drops off the troops and she mm. is part of luring the cruiser away from the city so that when they blow to the sky it falls somewhere else in the uh, hills okay. yeah it's subtle they don't they don't say it which is something i like they don't have the the cw dialogue of like now is the part where we have to lure it away from the the town so everybody knows that no one <laughs> in the town is going to die there's no one in the yeah. town anyway um they've all you know been run out but anyway it um it crashes it crashes into the mountainside and makes a huge explosion which was just the just the the 10 year old boy in me was just like that was awesome <laughs> you know just <laughs> so so very very well done 
Um, and that was like all the classic Star Wars stuff that was happening. But then we had some really cool Easter eggs as well. And most of it had to deal with Carson Teva, played by Paul Sun Hyung Lee, who was doing the space cop with a hunch thing. And <laughs> we've seen him before, obviously, when he like does the space cop, pulls Din Djarin over for like, hey, you're not supposed to be flying that in this restricted area sort of stuff. Uh, and he has a much larger role. He's less of a cameo, more of a, an actual, um, plot role in this, in this episode. That is who Grief Targa called when he, when he was first, um, faced with Gorian Shard, he called the new Republic for help. And that's how Carson Tiva was brought in. And so in the whole process of receiving that transmission and gradually getting to his head in the game, Carson Tiva is talking with Zeb in live action Star Wars at a fighter pilot bar. <laughs> Look, it is the most casual thing ever. And Zeb just walks over and starts talking to him. And for people that might not know, Zeb is from the animated series Rebels. And he's one of the main crew members of the Ghost. And he was in a New Republic flight suit in this clip. Was he the blue guy? He's the blue guy with the big ears, oh. the CG guy. Yeah, he was really well done. I did. I mean, I felt like he was supposed to be more important than the episode let, let on, but I wasn't familiar with him. But he was. I thought he looked really cool in the show, the episode. Oh, they did a fantastic job. He's voiced by Steve Bloom, who does the voice in the cartoons. So um, everybody that's familiar with Rebels would know he sounded exactly mm-hmm. like he should sound. And that's here's cool. and here's the rub. That is a huge CG asset for three minutes of screen time maybe (laughs) and true without getting into any real spoilers because i know you haven't seen rebels there is a tie between ahsoka tano and rebels we Hmm. know we're getting an ahsoka show right and so i'm thinking this is my nerd conspiracy theory but there's you don't put steve bloom in a cg animated character that would have taken countless hours to build uh for just one cameo in the mandalorian i mean you could because you're disney and you print money but my guess is that at some point we're going to see uh zeb in the ahsoka series i'm Hmm. crossing my fingers and and i'll leave it at that because i don't want to get into any spoilers for people um, but a fun thing about Zeb for people that might not know, Zeb is a Lasat. That's the name of the race. And mm-hmm. the Lasat race is based on early concept art by Ralph McQuarrie uh, for Chewbacca. So Chewbacca could have lo- looked very different <laughs> compared oh, to the Wookiee that we got in, in the eventual New Hope. So uh, the, the Rebels did that a lot, actually. A lot of the Rebels designs characters droids um ships they went back and they pulled from a lot of macquarie artwork which is very very cool it's a very fun show to watch actually it's it's i know you've complained about watching bad batch and how stiff the animation is and how stiff the style is yeah rebels is softer than that and so the animation is more fluid than that uh, at least later on, maybe not the first season, but but the models are different than how angular everything in Clone Wars is. And so they're not as stiff in terms of their motion. So you might not find it, it kind of jars you quite as much as, as uh, Clone Wars. Yeah, cool. Check it out. 
I think the only thing left to mention about the pirate is that an actual pirate flees. Vane uh, is the the mouthy pirate that Din and Karga talked to in the first episode. And yep. he flees, leaves Gurion Shard to his death. And classic pirate stuff. He just abandons his post. And makes me think that we haven't seen the last of him. Again, because speaking role, heavy makeup, like lots of cosmetic, like lots of prosthetic stuff. And I think that my best guess is that he is going to go report Din Djarin's whereabouts to some former Imperials, perhaps even Moff Gideon, who we now know escaped his prison transport. And right. that brings me to, I think, one of the coolest and creepiest scenes that we've seen in a while. Again, with Carson Tiva using his X-Wing to investigate an abandoned Imperial shuttle. And it's, uh, I can't remember the name of the shuttle. It's not, Tidarium is the code name for the one that's in Rebels, but it's, um, it's an Imperial shuttle is what he's, um, what he's, in, what he's investigating. And because it's off, because it's, it's derelict, it's dark in space and there's no mm-hmm. light on it until he actually shines light on it. And it really has like a Ridley Scott vibe to it as he's going in the whole time. I was just like, Oh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I didn't want him to die. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't go into the dark spaceship. <laughs> but he sends an R2 unit probe, which I didn't know they could do, or an R5 unit probe, pardon me. And then he finds Beskar alloy in the wall. I don't know how he knows that. He just kind of looks yeah. at it and says it. But so one of two things, either the Mandalorians are being framed for the escape of Moff Gideon, or they were hired to execute the escape of Moff Gideon. Mm. I'm not sure which. That could put an interesting uh, wedge between Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians. And I also think that it puts an interesting wedge between the Mandalorians and the New Republic, if that's the case. Hmm. Right? So either frame job or or they did it and they were hired to do it. Uh, it, it I don't really feel that they're painting the new Republic in a great light in this show and they're doing it on purpose. Everything from the rehabilitation of Imperials in episode three, where they're scrambling brains. Um, I mean, I know that it was an Imperial double agent that scrambled the brains, but like the fact that they're using that machine at all is not, doesn't look very good on the new Republic side. And there's a couple of other things in terms of, um, this next episode we'll talk about with the with the droids and some of the 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 process and how some of the outer rim worlds view the new republic as just another dictatorship like just another bunch of rules we have to follow they're no different than the empire right mm-hmm. everybody wants to be free and i think it's interesting how they're playing both sides of the new republic because it's hard because of all the different shows and all the different timelines, but you definitely get a vibe from the Republic and the new Republic, how different they are, which I think is interesting because you've always just kind of thought of them as like the Republic and then the rebels and then the new Republic seem to be in Canon so far, just a continuation. But in the Mandalorian, they're painting the new Republic quite differently and, and a lot of bureaucratic tape, and um even when uh carson tiva talks to his superior who i don't remember their name 
about investigating what's happening out of Navarro and trying to get at the bottom of it, he's shoved off. He's just like, nah, don't worry about it. Like we've got a number of other things and all of it has to do with like requisitions and tables and sheets and spreadsheets and bureaucracy. Right. So it's not, it's not a glamorous, joyous new Republic. It's, it's very much picking up the pieces, but there's a lot of red tape yeah. and I'm not sure if they're going to get where they, where they need to go. Moving on to the last episode we'll talk about this week, Guns for Hire, Chapter 22, written by John Favreau and directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. And I figured it out before I looked. I, I don't look ahead because I, I know I generally <laughs> look forward to the ones that Bryce Dallas Howard directs, uh, but I figured it out early on and it really, it was a Grogu scene. It was like whenever there's really cute but character-driven stuff happening with Grogu, it's usually Bryce Dallas Howard. Or if it just all of a sudden feels very broad and very Star Wars, as opposed to Space Western, you're just like, this has to be a Howard episode. It has to be a Dallas hmm. Howard episode. And um, of course, when the credits ran, I was like, yes, it was right. <laughs> Weirdly, I didn't like it that much. It was my least favorite of the yeah. three. So I feel like I've been talking forever. How did you feel about Boat Guns for Hire? Uh, it's been my least favorite of the season so far. I mean, oh wow, yeah. I mean, the convert, it's the third one in when they. But I think you, you know, I chatted about it at the gym where you said it was book ended in, so you had a little bit of Mandalorian at the beginning, a little bit at the end, and then that that side story on Coruscant, is it? Coruscant, yeah. Coruscant, yeah. And that one, I felt it. It was interesting. But I didn't enjoy it. But this one just felt like, I don't know. As soon as you get there and it's Jack Black and Lizzo and Christopher Lloyd, I'm like, it just felt like how many Hollywood stars can we fit in this one episode? And it's, and I, I think it took me out of it too, because they didn't, they weren't necessarily any different than they are in real life. If that makes sense. Or or, or that they, they come across in interviews and things like that. So it didn't really feel like, I don't know, the fact that they were big names sort of me overshadowed the performance and then the fact that Lizzo was just you know thought that Grogu was so cute and then come over here and they did that again that super duper flip where they just toss the Grogu doll across the room and he lands right at right next to the Duchess it's, I don't know it just felt like it was an absolute side story that was not needed at all because they went to that planet and they get there and they go we need to talk to the we need to talk to the Mandalorians and then it's like you can do that but first, you need to do this side quest in order to be able to go. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, no, I can see them. They're right over there. I just need to like, no, no, no. We've got this thing. But come on. I just, I don't know. I mean, they're, I, they're, to me, there were interesting bits in it. I don't remember the the Ugnaughts being mentioned before. I've seen beings like them before, but I don't know if I ever heard of their names before. But I thought that that interaction was pretty, um, pretty intriguing. And the fact that, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but the fact that Din Djarin actually kind of had interactions with their people before and knew how to, inter how to talk to them was pretty, I thought that was a nice, a nice moment. Then they have the droid bar and I was like, really a droid bar? That seems <laughs> a little ridiculous. But uh, I guess the, the more the conversation amongst the droids at the bar went on, then it seemed to make, I don't know, it felt a bit more natural. It just, they, they always seem to be just walking around doing stuff without much of a personality. So it seemed odd that they would go and hang out in a, in a bar. I don't know. It felt like there's a lot of little holes in this one that seemed odd to me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about you. Do you remember Queel from season one? 
what is Queel? He's an Ugnaught. He's the Ugnaught that helped Dinjar and rescue oh, yes, Grogu, yes. right? So, and he's always right. talking about I have spoken. He's the one that teaches oh, him how to ride the Blurg. Right. I forgot Dinjarin did actually mention his name when he was having the conversation with them. I just when he when he mentioned the name, I couldn't at that moment in my brain could not remember. So the Ugnaughts also made an appearance in episode five, Empire Strikes Back. They were mm. in the bowels of Cloud City where Chewbacca went to pick up the trash and put C three PO back together. Oh yeah. Because they were in the basically they're in the guts of of cloud city helping it go basically making it run they're like engineers right uh, but they looked different back then they their their faces were not as long um they they had different features the ugnaughts that we see in mandalorian even in this season compared to quill in season one are slender and like a little bit um longer in the face uh, mm. And they have, I mean, I'm obviously with technology, they have more animatronics in their face. So their lips move and things that, that they didn't before. Um, right. And I thought that was, that was cool. But yeah, it was interesting how their culture works. Like you kind of have to be very assertive in order to be respected and accepted mm-hmm. into the conversation. And if you're not sure of yourself, they don't want to talk to you, you know? And um, I thought it was interesting that Din Djarin brought up that if you say the droids are malfunctioning, it's received as an insult because they're the ones yeah. that work on the droids. And so he had to present it in a different way. I don't exactly remember how he did it, but like he basically said like, no, 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 we're not, we're not insulting your work. We're trying to figure out what's going on. We know it's not you because you're so good at what you do. You kind of have to blow mm-hmm. smoke up their ass, you know, in order yeah. to get what you want from them, which I thought was, was cool. Yeah. I did find it odd that they just basically said, um, here is the information you're looking for. The next malfunction we think is going to be at the landing docks, but it's like, how would you, how, would, how can you predict the next malfunction? I thought that was an odd moment. Yeah, again, like it just there's some holes in this story, and yeah. it, and I didn't think about it too hard because like the whole time I'm thinking like none of this has anything to do with the season plot, like nothing. Yeah, you know. So I I was watching it because it was basically like oh we get Bo-Katan and Dinjar and buddy cop, good cop, bad cop. He hates droids. She's trying to get to the bottom of things so she can follow the rules and talk to her. She's being diplomatic essentially, uh, and he's just kind of like I'm just gonna kick stuff. And (laughs) I mean, that was a cool chase scene when they chased the battle droid and it was cool to see the battle droids and and all that stuff. Uh, But I, I completely agree with you. The, the lovey dovey talk with Jack Black and Lizzo who were just Jack Black and Lizzo in star Wars um, really drove me crazy. Um, And Jack Black wasn't even doing good acting. Like he was doing like over the top. Yes. I'm doing comedy. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've seen more mellow stuff on Saturday Night Live. You know, like it's, it was really terrible. And I think it goes to show that I think there are benefits to having, I don't want to say like no names, but like lesser known actors. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Pedro Pascal, not a nobody, but not like, jack black level of fame well he, he might be now but but yeah. not not when he started the mandalorian you know it was you know he was in game of thrones and narcos and that's what most people knew him from right he's been in other stuff too but like he it's that was what you knew him from and right. i think that he's known as like an actor that does characters and stuff in movies not as like a personality he's i would say jack black is a celebrity whereas pedro pascal is a well-known actor right if that yeah. makes sense and, it does. and yeah and and the, with the lizzo stuff it just felt like we want lizzo to be in this show so we can get people that like lizzo to watch the mandalorian and sure i'll do it as long as i get to hold grogu the whole time like 
is yeah. dumb. And, and then she, and then she knights him at the end. It's like really, so all you have to do is be cute to get knighted. Yeah. And they just happen to have this this, this key of the city on hand to hand to uh, Bo-Katan. I don't know. Actually, I didn't mind Lizzo's acting a ton. I found I don't know, but just the fact that you had so many celebrities in this episode, it just. I mean, Christopher Lloyd, eighty four. Point, putting his stamp on yet another well-known sci-fi series like yeah good for yeah. him i liked him and i liked his delivery like he just kind of felt yeah. like an everyday kind of like i'm in i'm the security droid guy this is my job this desk <laughs> i do it all day long you know thank you for saying that no complaints about his performance he was he was no. in there he did he did the role but again it was just like i guess after the lizzo and jack black i was just like oh and of course we've got another yeah big name if it was just lloyd it would have been fine or if Lloyd yeah. was in Jack Black's role, but not as over the top, right? Like if yes. he was, if he was like some pompous, you know, former imperial, he would be the right age, you know. Like he, just, it would, it would make a little bit more sense. The problem that I yeah. had with Lloyd wasn't anything to do with his performance. It was just the fact that it was Christopher Lloyd meant that he's probably <laughs> going to have more than just a five minute speaking role, which means he's probably the bad guy or involved in the plot somehow. And so yeah. when it ended up all being pointed back to him, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Called it. <laughs> yeah. There were some cool lines that he had, though. I liked that they made him a separatist. And I liked that he was a, a, a Dooku supporter. Right. I thought that was interesting. Mm. You know, the Techno yeah. Union, they dropped a bunch of stuff from Attack of the Clones that I thought was really interesting. Man, your memory for this stuff is good. Like you're just, <laughs> you, you keep pulling like politics <laughs> and roles from different series. And like, you're, you're, you just hear me in the back going, background going, hmm. <laughs> oh yeah huh and i'm like geez how do you remember that that's like eight years ago or something like that it's well impressive. some of it has to do with clone wars right because dooku is in clone wars that the animated series uh right. and and there's also been some recent uh jedi shorts on on disney plus and rebels also kind of pulls in a lot of the politics and stuff as well so like i've had a lot of the things that the movies give you in single right. scenes reinforced over like seven years of animated stuff so i think that's probably where it comes in but and why i think the clone wars is worth watching it's hard the first three seasons are kind of a slog because it's aimed at really young kids but once it gets going and once ahsoka is in like phase two of her of her jedi training it becomes a lot more interesting and you get the hmm political moves you start to see the jedi disagreeing with the way that things are done there's an entire sequence on mandalore before it was slagged in the clone wars so if you're at all interested in the history of mandalore go watch that because obi-wan okay. kenobi features heavily in that and and it's really really cool both from just like a story perspective but also a mandalorian culture right because mandalorian culture as we found out it's not all don't remove your helmet. Like there are very extreme sect within Mandalore. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why Mandalore fell so easily to the empire is because Mandalore was squabbling over the throne, similar to Game of Thrones. Like there were four or five houses trying to figure out who's going to lead Mandalore. And a lot of that played out in Clone Wars, the animated series, which is, yeah, which is why they got big actors like Katie Sackhoff to, to voice Mandalorians. I'm trying to remember... One of the other actors from Clone Wars, um, he's a British guy. He was in the series Rome and he played one of the Vizsla characters, one of probably Paz Vizsla's dad hmm. or, or brother. I can't remember. Um, I'll see if I can look it up, but it, it's, he, he was also a fantastic actor. He was in Grey's Anatomy. Um, I'm just blanking on his name right now, but um, having him in the Clone Wars was also really, really cool uh, as well. Nice. Final thoughts on, on 
the Dallas Howard episode. I mean, it was well-directed. I think the faults are laid at the performance of some of the actors and the writing. I think the writing yeah. is a little bit on, on the fence here, which is weird because it was John Favreau writing it. And I know there's been murmurs about Favreau not being super happy at Disney right now. And I kind of wonder whether there's been some other spoons in the pot and that this was just the best that he could do because of the powers that be. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there was the powers that be that wanted to bring the Lizzo's and the Jack Black's into the, in the movie. It's like, Oh, come on. Can we, can we just, can we make a story go forward and be like a good story as opposed to going, yeah, the, uh, the Mandal Mandalorians are over there. I just want to talk to them. And then, Nope, we have to do this. The last part where Bo-Katan finally does get to go talk to her crew or her former mm -hmm. fleet of Mandalorians where she challenges um blanking on the guy's name wolf, wolf. something axe wolves wolves no no f just w-o-v-s um huh? there are some dumb names in this too <laughs> like <laughs> like what was jack like, black's character it was like captain bombardier yeah like come it's on like, really? man yeah anyway uh <laughs> she has to go fight axe face and he looks like a bro. Like he looks like he wears axe yeah. deodorant. Like that's the kind of dude. He's uh, <laughs> it, an empty character. We saw him for five minutes at the beginning of the series between the two fish lovers. Like another throwaway scene that meant nothing. Cool mm -hmm. visually that they did it, but like really dumb and pointless. Although I think now that you're talking about it, you're mentioning it, I think it may actually be a good th um, link to what you were saying about them being responsible for Moff Gideon's escape because they did say, you know, if the price is right, yes. we will do it. So now literally now that you're saying it, that it may seem like a throwaway scene, but it actually might be intentional, intentional for that. And that's fine. I think that there are other ways to do that scene, getting that information to the audience without fish kisses. Right. <laughs> you know, that's okay. That's like where the problem lies. It's like as weird, as weird and as fun as it is, it just feels so out of this series, right? Like, yeah, it is. It a, is it, a, is it a fun and funny scene? Yeah. Does it belong in this series? I don't think so. And that's, and that's where I kind of get, you know, hung up on it, especially because immediately thereafter you meet the Duchess and Bombardier and it's right. the same scene over and over again. Like it's just, it's the exact same thing um, with the love and the peace and the happiness and all this kind of fluff. And um, it just doesn't seem, I don't know. I wait, I was waiting for the, the other shoe to drop the entire time with the Duchess and Bombardier because of how nice they were. I was just waiting yeah, for them to yeah. like, yeah. waiting for the mask to go away and for them to be like really evil, but it just yeah. never happened. Right. Oh, we've stolen your little baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, right, has gone. Like, don't leave Grogu with him. Like, come on. You know, like that kind of stuff. It just felt off. Uh, anyway, yeah. the whole thing with Bo-Katan, she challenges Axe. She wins handily. It was a fun fight. Yeah, I wish it was more, though. I wish it was more. It felt like it was uh, too, ne too neatly finished in my mind, but... What do you mean neatly finished? Like the fight itself or the, the way that they wrapped up the plot? Because that's what I was going towards. The fight. I, just, I found the fight was, I found she won too easily. I just thought if he's going to be the new leader that, you know, they would have, like, she may have gotten injured or I don't know, something. It just, it just felt like, do you yield? No, I don't yield. Does an up, another couple of cool things. Do you yield now? It just, I don't know, something about it felt a little too quick to me. I think the problem is that it's a Disney show. 
and yeah. it's they're supposed to be fighting to the death that's how you win and rule mandalore is that you have to fight and defeat the other person but the problem is that now instead of mandalore being a planet full of people there's a stray group of people scattered throughout the universe who knows how many people are left so killing somebody is just a dumb idea right yeah. like you don't want to kill another mandalorian especially because you're trying to recruit everybody and get everybody together yeah. <laughs> under one roof reunite them yeah killing somebody is just going to thin your ranks for no good reason right that's why they lost the fight in the beginning right with is because mm. they weren't fighting they were too busy fighting each other um i didn't mind you know that kind of i was kind of typical i didn't really think about it either way the thing that bugged me was even after she beats him and by mandalorian culture she is now their leader they kind of go but you don't have the dark saber, even though you beat him. It's just like, it felt like a fucking school playground. Like, no, you didn't. You didn't hit me. I did yeah. this and I dodged and you missed. And like, just you're playing like pretend space guns. And it just felt stupid. <laughs> and then Din Djarin is like, well, uh, none of you were there. But when I was uh, on Mandalore, I was captured. I lost the dark saber. Then Bo-Katan rescued me with the dark saber. So technically she's the one that has the dark saber now and yeah. they'll go yeah okay that sounds good yeah but it's and it's funny though they didn't even she, he didn't even word it that way which i thought was the way that you worded it would have made more sense they just said she rest i got def basically i got captured she rescued me and since she, by defeating the person who beat me so doesn't that mean she's now the owner of the, the sword I, they, I don't even re think he mentioned i i was disarmed and then she actually defeated the person with the sword after being disarmed. Like basically, there was there's no talk about the saber actually being part of that fight at all. I don't think. I don't remember like, no. how much of that I'm remembering from his dialogue, and how much of I'm remembering from the previously on the Mandalorian that they showed you at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so you all remembered what happened. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't I don't know how much of it he actually said, but you're you're right. Like I mean, it's it's an I mean, regardless of what he says or not, they weren't there, and they're taking his word for it. And they've known him for five minutes. He was in a small crew earlier on in season two when he met Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorians. But it's not like he's crewed with them for years. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's he's not a trusted member of their tribe. They think he's a freak because of the fact that he 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 walks the way right. So I don't know it. The whole thing felt like a really tight little bow that I was not impressed with. Yeah, I, I did like... I was wondering how they were going to get the sword, the, the saber, to Bo-Katan. And maybe the delivery on how it happened wasn't great. Like, it, it almost feels like he should have realized after the fact when he was rescued and she had the sword. It's like if they had a gun at that point, like, wow, I guess, you know, I guess that's yours now. Um, in episode... Uh, episode two of the season then i guess they wouldn't have been able to have that whiny moment like well you don't have the sword even though they complain about um din Djarin and his crew being so by the book old ways and <laughs> they're being all whiny about her not having the sword it's like that's their rule that they can't let go of and his rule is you have to wear the helmet so it's it's funny that they both have their old ways that they can't let go of what I don't understand is why Din Djarin just didn't give her the Darksaber when they're on the tram. Here. What happens when they ask about it? Lie. <laughs> you, know, like you just lie. Tell them you beat me in combat and you have it now. Yeah. Or, or just say, or just say at that point, you did 
you did earn this by the way so just take it yeah <laughs> yeah like it just it felt it felt very strange but i they're kind of retconning themselves out of a out of a hole and mm. i thought at the end of episode four when they showed um bokatan talking with the armor about can i have the mythosaur as a crest on my replacement pauldron right i thought because of how long they hung on her that she was actually going to be an antagonist this season i thought she was going to be seemingly a friend to Dinjarin all the while mm. kind of scheming to become the leader of Mandalore. I'm glad that she's not. I think it would have been more interesting if it had been played out a little bit longer, maybe. Yeah. But I'm still not entirely convinced that she's just going to walk in and, and own Mandalore. I also hope that they're not going to make any kind of other you know, spin-off series because we don't need the book of Bo-Katan just like we didn't need the book of Boba Fett, <laughs> right? Like Bo-Katan's great. Don't get me wrong. I love her in the Mandalorian, but I, I, the Mandalorians as a whole don't warrant their whole, their own series, even though the Disney higher ups must be seeing dollar signs every time a Mandalorian yeah. is mentioned anywhere. Right. So uh, I know we've kind of done that thing where we complain a lot about, uh, you know, one of the episodes in a show we really, really like, but uh yeah. I, as much as I like Bryce Dallas Howard and this, the work that she normally does with Star Wars, I don't know where it went wrong, but there are redeemable moments within it. But overall, I was kind of rolling my eyes and I didn't leave it saying yeah. like, that was a cool episode of Star Wars. In the same way, just prior in The Pirate, I ended that episode going like, that was Star Wars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and I I was hoping for for more from this one. But, you know, I, you can't you can't win them all, I, I guess. Wrapping the show up with the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. If you enjoy the Citadel Cafe, we are 100% listener supported. If you get value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. You'll get access to the member-only Discord server as well as the Barista Cut bonus audio sessions when we have time to record those. Special thanks to Bean Counter Patrons Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you very much for your support of this episode. Patron count is at 26, down one from the last time we recorded. Our goal each time we sit down is to have at least one more patron than the previous episode. If you would like to be patron number 27, visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe. My pick is short and sweet. It is the Elemental trailer mm -hmm. from Disney Pixar, the new Pixar film coming out. The story doesn't look to be anything brand new uh, on the surface. It looks like West Side Story, Romeo and Juliet. It's two people that are not meant to be friends or romantically involved or whatever because of the way that the world is. Uh, spend time together and through happenstance have an adventure. Again, doesn't seem like rocket science. Visually, though... It looks really, really interesting as all of the characters mm -hmm. in this are elements like earth, air, fire, and water. And there's lots of jokes. There's lots of kind of like traditional roles that you'd expect for these elements. Um, you know, fire being short-tempered, uh, eating spicy food, that kind of thing. Uh, and in a world where traditionally elements don't mix, fire and water, for example, uh, then you've got two characters that are thrown into the mix together. And I, I think it looks interesting. I think it looks beautiful and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. Uh, but I don't anticipate the story is going to surprise me. However, I will say with things like Onward, 
that was something I thought was going to be predictable and they very much surprised me. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Was that Disney Pixar or was that just Disney? I don't remember because Disney does CG stuff either. now too. Anyway, that was a really good movie. It felt like it had more of a Pixar ending than a Disney ending. Very true. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. They definitely sent you on a twist. And um, Inside Out was the other one that I couldn't remember off the top of my head. That also <laughs> really surprised me. Did not yep. know where that was going. And they handled that kind of stuff very well. And Inside Out is a really good example of like the more esoteric, like ideas of emotions as characters. And this again is elements as characters, fire, water, earth, that kind of stuff. So I'm interested. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be enjoyable. I hope it's not predictable, but I think it's going to be one, one to watch. What's your pick this week? My pick would be the Land Rover Classic Defender, cough, cough, Lego set. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I just finished streaming uh, the now retired VW Bug, a nice baby blue VW Bug a couple of weeks ago. So it's uh, so I've got another vehicle added to my collection. And uh, you mentioned this one to me. And this looks like another one that Stephen may wish to add to his collection at some point as well. It is looking pretty darn great and I, I think this vehicle is actually one of the ones that lends itself well to to lego and sort of the some of the the technic pieces because it's a very blocking rectangular truck um I, I find sometimes they have these pieces and they're trying to do like i don't remember if they're lego ideas or if they're actual lego sets but just some of these sports cars that have these very sleek angular looks and they're trying to mimic these angles with technic pieces or regular blocks and then it they kind of pull it off but they end up with these holes in it just because you can't transition from one angle to another smoothly but just given the nature uh like the uh, the blocky nature of this vehicle it lends itself really well to to uh to lego bricks and one of the things that i love about it is it actually has working steering and suspension so they've got some photos on the site if you want to check it out where you basically it can go around the, the these turns, and if you sort of push down as going around the turn, then the uh, the shocks will actually squish up into the vehicle, and uh, uh, it, it just looks really cool. And and the equipment and everything they've got that goes along with it makes it look very much like an adventure vehicle. Like you're you're going off roads with this one big time on an on an exploration. So very cool. The color is excellent, sort of this muted army green, and uh, it's a it's a beautiful thing. The roof rack full of things like gas canisters, uh, mm -hmm. stove, uh, you've got a spare tire on the hood. You've got like a, a multi-purpose spade tool on the hood as well and all kinds of things. There's a winch uh, on the on the front bumper. Um, yeah. They really laid into it. I think it, uh, it looks great. It's not small either. It's like 13 inches long. I hadn't checked the size on it, but it looks, it, it looks comparable to, I guess, a couple of the other ones I've got with the... Now that I've done a handful of them, I can, I can sort of just mentally judge by tire size. Yeah, that's going to be a good size. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. The music was composed by Kevin McLeod. As always, the email for the show is thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. You can also find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, even YouTube. Really, wherever you find a podcast, you can find the Citadel Cafe. However, word of mouth is the easiest way for other people to find the show. If you like us, tell a friend and ask them to come and listen. You never know who might stick around. My name is Joel Duggan, and you can find links to everything I am up to online at joelduggan.com, including my other podcast all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. And you can follow me 
at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I've been streaming every day except for Mondays and Fridays are back. Lego Fridays coming at you this week. Nice. We'll see you then. Steven, where can people find you online? Primarily over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash stevenesc, and that's Steven with a PH. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. 